Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 97 of Death Readers, the podcast where we're reading through books for the first time. And this time, we really are reading through books for the first time, where neither of us have read this book. In this episode, we are going to start through the first couple of chapters of True Grit, the great American novel by Charles Portis. If this is your first time listening, how we're going to do this is Rob and I have both taken notes on the first, oh, I don't know, 60 five? to 70 pages. Five, five or six chapters. First five, five chapters. And we're going to be reading, uh, discussing the notes as we go through the book until we get to the end. Then we're going to go to the next episode, which is the next several chapters. So what we recommend is you read through the book too. You read through up to the pages we've read. So read through chapter five. Come back. Take a listen. Hear our notes so you can relate to the things we're saying. Did I miss anything? No, I don't think you did, no. Housekeeping? No, no housekeeping. Then let's get into chapter one of Charles Portis's True Grit. Well, okay, no, well, hold on, hold on. Hold your horses, compadre. You didn't skip anything up until that point, but you just skipped a whole heap of things. The edition. Edition. Oh, I did forget about this. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to... I feel like I must have been a a bit hasty in my in my get up and goes this morning, so uh, I think I'm gonna take a, a a quick break, and in doing that, I'm gonna take a sip of this Sioux City sarsaparilla. Oh, darling, this sarsaparilla goes down in one gulp, and it stays down for the count. <laughs> is, this, is this cowboy Billy D. Williams? Mmm. Just as fresh on a summer's eve as it is on a winter's morn. Sioux City Sarsaparilla not actually endorses this podcast. Instead, drink Arkansas's best sarsaparilla. Sioux City is in Iowa, Doug. I know, and it's actually a real sarsaparilla company, so I had to stop using it because it was just a reflexive thing to say. So I started okay, changing well, just, it so okay. that we could well, be more accurate in the show. You didn't clue me. No, in. no, you, no, I know you. Uh, you famously, you need me to hold your hand into the bit. So here we go. <laughs> so find you, find the nearest uh, haberdashery. Or nickel shop and get yourself an ice cold six pack of Arkansas's finest sarsaparilla straight from the icebox. Haberdashery is a hat store. You don't think hat stores can sell drinks? Fine. I mean, I'm glad you cleared it up because surely all the listeners are going to be up in arms about it. And then they'll hear this conversation and they'll know that it was fine, that it's not necessarily fair to pigeonhole a. Uh, a business owner into only being able to sell one set of goods. Like, like that'd be like naming, giving someone the last name that is their profession. And that would be, you know, short-sighted and kind of cruel, minimizing, diminishing saying, of that person. If your business says you do one thing and you do another, maybe you should change your name of your business. So what do you think gas station should be called? 7-Eleven. No, I'm sorry. The answer is convenience store and it's already done for you. Look, I'm not going to play your mind games, Doug. Doesn't appear like you can. Um, let's talk <laughs> about... <laughs> um, so, the edition edition. It sounds like you want to get started with the edition edition, so why don't you get started with the edition edition? Rob, take it away. Okay, what, 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 what what's the edition you're reading? 
Well, I don't know because I wasn't ready. So I was hoping you fair. were going to run with g- it and then I I've, could get ready. I've got the digital Young Readers Edition, which scared me for a moment. But then I did some research on it and every reputable source I could find that cited the Young Readers Edition promised me the full text. I don't know why it's called the Young Readers Edition, but... Maybe it's like a book for children? Maybe. Maybe it had a fun digital cover? I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how it works. But that's what... I'm reading the digital Young Readers Edition of True Grit by Charles Portis. Um, well, I'm reading, I believe, the first printing of these, the trade paperback. It says first printing February 1969 inside. Mm-hmm. And it also says a couple things that are interesting. Firstly... This is an authorized reprint of a hardcover edition published by Simon & Schuster. Uh, Mine is published by Signet. It also says True Grit appears in a somewhat different version in the Saturday Evening Post. I got that too. I wonder what that means. used to serialize novels in a magazine. My, uh, I don't know what your cover looks like, but my cover is a sweet little reprinting of the original hardcover art, which has this really rudimentary but also kind of fascinatingly gorgeous... Uh, drawing of Maddie on the cover uh, with little Blackie. Sure. It's, I have no idea how a book with this cover sold as this cover insists over a million copies. It has a bunch of cool, good. You you say that's a, that's a, that's a facsimile of what the hardback looked like. Yeah. This is the same cover that was on the hardcover. Wow. That is not, um, it's not a pretty book. Not a pretty book. (laughs) Very severe. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of like... Especially considering that that 38-year-old housefrau is a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah, the scale here is not helpful. No. Um, you, you really have no idea how, how tall this person is. She looks like the like if, if uh, Little House in the Prairie was uh, owned by the Adams family. <laughs> Wednesday, Ingalls Wilder. Yeah, exactly. There you go. We're shucking and we're shooting. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Anyway, the, uh, so uh, the back says, what's true grit? And then it has a bunch of, like, quotes by different people. Anyone of note? You don't have to read them all, but it's... Just... That's, the, that's the thing, is there's only one person who's listed by name, and I don't know oh, this weird. person, but the rest are just attributed to the magazines, to the publications that are the ones who reviewed it ostensibly through a real person. Who's the one, who's, who's the one name? Richard Cor- Condon? No. No idea. No. He called it enthralling. Time Magazine called it a bigger-than-camp Bonnie and Clyde. Boston Globe called it a perfect novel. I love it when they take these excerpts from the actual review. Because, like, what if the person said, True Grit is far from a perfect novel? And they were like, there, he said it! He said it! <laughs> I always assume that that's the case. And a million-copy bestseller to boot? Um, anyway, my, my copy also has a, a, a pretty cute um, signature on the inside from the person who previously owned it at some point. I believe it says Suzanne West. So, Suzanne West, I have your book, and I'm reading it. If you would like to claim your copy of True Grit, Suzanne, uh, email us at deathreaders at gmail.com. But then you're going to have to send us a verification video proving that you are who you are so we can put the little blue check by your name. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so the edition edition, is that over? Are we done? Are we I done with the edition so. edition? And remember, if you'd like to get a copy of True Grit, go to your local bookstores or your local library or your local library-funded digital platform and avoid giving money to the bald man in the sky as much as you can. So uh, I, w- I, would like, I would like to say uh, that in the spirit of the old West, 
I took all my notes in pencil. Wow. While reading it on my uh, Apple iPad. But now, I read was... it in sepia. <laughs> okay. Was that... You know it's a book from, like, the 1958, right? Like, it's not that no, old. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, I do know that. <laughs> um, did you do that on accident, or did you do that to, to hype up your, your, your novelty? Oh, totally hyping it up. Oh, cool. I, I took all my notes uh, in ink and quill. Um, <laughs> and I only ate bi- uh, biscuits with lard and drank black coffee that still had grinds in it and some worms. Well, I had chicory and ate hard tack. I, I, was, I was doing my reading on a boat. A ship, as we call it. A ship, you say? A ship. Oh, up there where you come from, you get ships? Well, that's that's mighty nice. However, I must say, where I come from, uh, we like to stick with our our boats on the mighty Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Up and down, the beautiful Mississippi. Whitland, telling stories. I don't know what voice that is. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't. Clearly, have... we've established that you're a Confederate and I'm a Yankee. But are we both in King Arthur's court? Because, you know, the book is a Connecticut Yankee, so I was like, oh, if it's a Confederate and a Yankee. I mean, that, that would have to be the sequel. No, the sequel is Rookie of the Year. <laughs> no, the, wait, wait, the, the... <laughs> Funky butt loving. Because what was the other what was the other one? What was the other one where the Rookie of the Year kid goes to King Arthur times as a um... baseball kid? kid in king arthur's court yeah with daniel craig and i think isn't uh rose from titanic in that i can't think of her name i don't know i haven't seen those movies in a long time i saw rookie of the year in the last probably 10 years but i mm-hmm. haven't seen all i that's why i was just thinking about that i just remember that scene where he goes to make like a hamburger and it cuts the tomato and she's like no because it's a poison he's just he just puts his hand on her just shushes her wordlessly he's like no no, no it's fine and cuts the tomato but then my question is, why the fuck did they have a tomato in the kitchens if they think it's poison? Movie doesn't hold up. Is that a thing? Did people think tomatoes were poison? Oh, yeah. Big, big medieval thing. Big medieval touchstone. Or at least we think they think that. Well, they are disgusting. They were they were stupid. I guess. Tomatoes are gross on raw, though. I don't like them raw. They have their place. We should talk about the book. Oh, sure. Fine. Look at us. Couple of mental houseflies. <laughs> Just zipping around aimlessly. Do you, want, do you want to talk about uh, the first chapter there? Nope, you should. I should. Yeah. I thought. Oh God, I was expecting you to have done this. No, I thought you would. I thought you would be like, oh, that we're in, we're in this chapter now because that's I'm the guy who says these things, and then I, I, you know, you were just like asking me to do it. You're always the one who does the summary. I'll do my best. So this chapter establishes the backstory of Tom Cheney killing <laughs> Frank Ross. <laughs> The, the, the inciting incident that propels uh, our currently nameless protagonist, the slain man's daughter, uh, to chase down Tom Chaney. Uh, turns out Tom Chaney stole Ross's money, Frank Ross that is, and the gold two gold pieces he hid in his pants. And for those crimes, his daughter is hunting him down. His 14-year-old daughter. His 14-year-old daughter in uh, 1878. It was the year in, I believe, uh, Arkansas? Arkansas. 
in a, in a, at this point in the story, it takes place in a small town called, do you remember? I don't remember. No. It's called something like Silver Lake or Vane or something like that. Where the murder happened, where she's trying to reclaim the body and start the hunt for Chom Cheney, not where she's from. Correct? Yes, the the, ha- the city that they're in. Um, I don't Fort know. Smith. Fort what Smith. What it is called is Fort Smith. Silver Fort Smith Lake. Silver Fort Smith Lake. Um, Not a big deal. Uh, Yep. Well, anyway, did you have uh, anything to say about this chapter? Um, Yeah. I I was actually quite taken right, almost right off the bat um, in Charles Portis's use of run-on sentences versus really short descriptive sentences. Okay. It was very, it was just very interesting. It's, it, it, he, he goes back and forth like, bear with me here. For example, I was just 14 years of age when a coward going by the name of Tom Cheney shot my father down in Fort Smith, Arkansas and robbed him of his life and his horse and $150 in cash money plus two California gold pieces he carried in his trouser band. <sighs> Versus... It was a cotton house made over into a little cabin. It had a good roof. And just, it yeah. seems like it goes back and forth and it's just really interesting. I, I it, It's... It, it kind of caught my eye. Just yeah, it kind of protracted, it's, long, descriptive, which is being emotional. But when she's just being descriptive, just like eh, she just bam, bam, bam. Just yeah, it's like she's when when she has reason to, she's extremely attentive and has a, the capacity to pay close attention to to a, quite a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But when she decides something isn't important to her, she dis she just gets the bare minimum information. And being that this book is uh, written in her first-person omniscient, uh, I think I don't she's, think it's omniscient. Well, she's she's knows everything that's happened in the story because she's telling it in the past tense. So oh oh oh, oh okay yeah. I see. I see. So in, yes, in, in yes. theory, that should be first-person omniscient. Mm-hmm. I, I may be wrong. Sorry, all my teachers. If I got it wrong, if I got it right, you're welcome. Um. But I believe that's the case because she's, well, or is it third person? I don't know how to. No, work it's, you're it's right. Part. You're she, right. You're right. You're right. Third person would be. Uh, the 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 story could cut away. Nameless from that narrator. And everything. Right. Yeah. The the first person is her being like, "This happened to me. This is my story." The problem has for me it becomes like that. She's not saying, "I do these things and I don't know." That's the, present the outcome. That's present. Is this is right. past tense? So it has that omniscience. Yeah, that makes where sense. Where she she knows everything. Anyway. That's what I would write in my essay if I had to again. So I like that too. I, I didn't na- I didn't take note of that specific thing, but you're right. It is kind of interesting and, and a, a pretty cool feature of her character. She's wicked smart, um, <laughs> Yankee, and uh, and very good at at being efficient. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, uh, I was very amused early on that uh, Arkansas had taken Texas to task. Mm-hmm. And how she was just saying that kind of thing wouldn't happen in Arkansas and Texas is blah, 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 blah. Do you have any notes? I have one s- single solitary note. Oh, okay. Then I've got some more notes. Um, I will also, I liked how her character development is peppered throughout this narration like a surprise. Um, like when she says, I did not get my mean streak from him, her dad. Uh just little commentary shit. It's not, she doesn't do the 
often in books will be like, this is who I am. This is, I looked in the mirror and saw my face and will now describe it to you. Or this is facets of my personality. They come up conversationally. And yet you get a really good idea of who this character is because of how she's approaching even her descriptions. It's, it's, it's really well done. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating how like you get a lot out of how brief this book is even so far. Like it was, it took me a while to get through these, these chapters, but like um, that wasn't because they were particularly long. Right. Um, They're very, but if I can, if I can set, they are, but if I can separate myself from my, like, you know, the time I spent on it, um, it is like, it is dense. It's, 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 uh, it's concentrated. Um, he doesn't really waste a lot of time. It was, it's a, it's like the opposite of Ernest Klein. Um, not in a, not in a shitty way, but like, I think we talked about that. The idea that like, you know, the thing about Chekhov's gun is this idea that you only introduce things if they're important. You min- you take, you take your story and you boil it, everything that's not important away. It's and very- so if you, Okay. If you introduce a gun, the gun needs to come back. The gun itself needs to do something. If you introduce Frank Ross's two gold pieces, they have to do something. They have to be important in some capacity. They have to be the last thing she takes off Tom Cheney's corpse, or they have to be the thing she knows she wasn't able to get back. Mm, okay. But they have to be significant to her development in her story. Otherwise, oh. why put them there? We'll, we'll have to see now. Now I'm curious if that's going to be in there. Um, he's very good with the economy of storytelling. So far, anyway. We should we should briefly here, I think, mention the films. Okay. I, uh, once again, this is another one of those situations where I am reading, like, I, I picked this book because I really like the Coen Brothers film. Like, uh, I like it quite a lot. Uh, and, I, and so far, I'm extremely pleased and satisfied to see how much of the script that they produced into their film was oh. taken directly from these pages Absolutely. without without editing in any way. Um, that that was quite fascinating to read, especially when it came to something like some of the stuff later. But like the conversation she has with the the guy where she purchases the horses, where she does her wheeling and dealing, and even <laughs> even down to Rooster's like testimony. All of mm-hmm. that is directly like ripped from the pages and produced in the film. Sure. Um, I've only seen that movie once and I, I have never seen the John Wayne version. Yeah. Um, but that I was also struck with that same thing. Whereas I read this, I'm like, Oh my God, this is, I remember this now from the movie because I think I saw it once in the theater. But yeah, it's very evocative, and and clearly they were very faithful to the book. I uh, I've seen this movie many times because I really like it. Uh, it's one of those movies that like, it's one of those movies that I feel like it's one of those like those Coen Brother films that people don't talk about. That's uh-huh. how I feel about it. It's not like people like people don't go watch midnight showings of fucking True Grit like right. like they would like The Big Lebowski. I really like this movie because this movie what it represents to me is it represents my like one of the entry points in for me in, in getting into what I would refer to as like Western films, mm-hmm. because Westerns are not generally a f- genre I have much affinity for. I believe my grandfather does, mm-hmm. but I've never really sat down and watched 
westerns with him. I just kind of have heard that sure. about him. But movies like True Grit or to a similar, if if lesser extent, something like uh, There Will Be Blood, these more modern like period western films or films that take place in the West, uh, I really like them. I, I think that they they're they're really fun. So so especially when you watch like Coen Brothers westerns like Ballad of Buster Scruggs, they seem to have quite the affinity for that genre and that storytelling of that, of that kind. So um, maybe someday we'll read a book. I haven't seen a movie of, and I'm noticing that that's hard for me because I recognize so much of it from the film. Cause I'm, I'm a visual thinker. Sure. The difficult part is so much of the imagery is already done for me. All the, a lot of the imagination is sure. done for me. Anyway, uh, full disclosure, we've both seen one of the films made of this, book we know a little bit about what happens i'm sure but anyway we got another note i do uh this book also reminded me and it, i don't think it would have occurred to me had i not been reading it of another coming of age novel which also was kind of a surprise when i realized it was a coming of age novel i always think of it I, when i think of true grit the first image that comes to mind is usually rooster cogburn Yes, but I mean, I, it's Maddie's story through and through. But I don't think of that. But reading it, I, it, it, I spent a lot more time intimately with Maddie and you know her mind. I'm like, this is a coming of age novel, and it reminded me of um, Where the Red Fern Grows, which is another book that starts with an old narrator remembering about a time gone by, mm-hmm. and when he was a kid. Um, and it's also interesting that and that book was written, I think, seven years before this one, um, and they're both written. They're both period pieces, but written from a period that is before both of us. So it's kind of a link to right, the past right. that way. It's, a, it's an older generation's imagination of an even older time. That's kind of fascinating. Yeah. They also both uh, reference coon hunting. Or, I mean, mm-hmm. That's a big big part of the, the where the Redford goes, uh, grows. Excuse me, But Maddie specifically references going coon hunting. No, very true. Very true. Have you read uh, Redfern? Um, yeah. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I have. I'm sorry, I didn't know you read books. <laughs> uh, you could say I've read Where the Red Fern Grows. Well, it sounds like you said it. <laughs> no, Where the Red Fern Grows is one of those books that, like, as a kid made me want to have dogs. Mm-hmm. And so instead of having two little red bone coon hounds, is that what they're called? I don't, I'm not, I don't remember. I just remember they're uh, Dan and Little, old Dan and Little Ann. Old Dan, Little Ann, fairly certain they're red something coonhounds. That sounds right. Instead of having that, I ended up getting two small black Alaska mutts. But it was—it's always been a fantasy of mine to have two dogs that are all that are very, very similar. Nice. Uh, partially because of the where the red fern grows and how like impactful that was and the idea like the whole way like there's some, I don't want to talk about that movie that book too much but like there's something <laughs> about that book in the way that like the description of the journey that the the protagonist goes on to get enough money to purchase the dogs mm-hmm. and how you really get that sense of this is all the money this person has this is the entirety of their goals and they work really hard to get this one thing. And then they make it happen. And then the story is about, like, the story after that is all about people trying to take that away from you. Mm-hmm. Or, like, loot or the, the risk of losing the thing you love because that's life. Sure. Uh, life is loss. Life is pain. Um, and, and, and so, like, but, like, as, a, as an emotional 
person, you know, it, it all, all I could really stick with was those feelings about like, I want to be the person who has the perfect dog. And I got really lucky cause I have the perfect dog, but like, I also have one that's crazy <laughs> and, and the, like not necessarily the opposite of a perfect dog, but like, she's much more of like a jackal <laughs> than a dog. She's a she's a, a completely loving and fantastic, wonderful dog, but also a psychopath. Yeah, so well, every bat um, dog needs their joker. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, you could say I've read that book. Okay, fair enough. But anyway, I, I think is a astute observation um, on your part that the the idea of these being like an older generation than us waxing uh, longingly for this other time in the past and telling a story in that, that present. It's interesting because this story is both stories are real dark. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they are. So we'll, I'm I'm interested to see how and, and where, and, and I mean, I know where this move, I know where this book goes, but like, it's still, I'm interested to read it and see what I've missed. Um, Mm -hmm. or what was, what didn't make the cut in the theatrical versions. Uh, so I got another note here about just the just that fun character development, and then my realization at this point that unless I miss something, I think you've already confirmed this though. Unless I miss something, we haven't met the character by name yet. No, we hadn't at this point. Uh, she doesn't have a name. No, not yet. She and, and I, I remember I was reading it and thinking she's you know she's referring to herself. She's referring to I and me and these things and like her family. Like at one point, I had this. I had to like reread the reread a chapter or a paragraph or something where she she starts describing this character named Frank Ross and she doesn't contextualize who that is uh not before and not after she doesn't say by the way Frank Ross is my father she right. says my father was murdered by this man Tom Cheney etc etc et and then she goes Frank Ross was this person who grew up here and went to this school and was had this many children stuff like that and I'm reading it like what the f-? I had to go back and go are we just learning about a new person all of a sudden? Like why, who's, who is Frank Ross and why is he here? Right. And then I had to go back and like re read it and go, okay, I'm going to use my deductive reasoning, my context clues to suggest that I believe this person is her father. And then sure enough, he is. Uh, my note is, uh, about Yarnell. That's the man who came with her. Yarnell is the, is the, uh, African American man who came with her. And who she sends home alone or with the, with a horse or something like that. I forget exactly what, or with the coffin. She sends him back with her father's body. Right. My note here is, uh, poor, poor Yarnell, uh, a free African-American who's kidnapped in the North and sold into slavery in the South. And then I, I thought to myself, Hmm, I bet that would make a great story on its own. Oh, <laughs> but the, but the kidnapping would have to be successful. And the in- internment would have to be have to be lengthy, like at minimum over a God decade. Damn it. God damn it! But but not many more years than that. <laughs> not many more years a slave uh... than ten, probably less than thirteen. But far, <laughs> but more. Maybe not far more, but substantially more than ten. Eleven might be not enough. But 13's too many. <laughs> so somewhere between there, uh-huh. between, I think I'm fair to say, between 11 and 13 years a slave <laughs> would be 
would probably be a great story. Uh, yeah. I have nowhere to go with that. I can't. I can't. Yes, and that. Because it's a true story. Who's to say Yarnell wasn't a true story? It's a harrowing fucking book. I've never read it, and I don't know if I could handle it. I've never seen the movie, so. Um, uh, do you think? Do you think Portis did that on purpose? Do you think he took that as inspiration? I, I would not be surprised at all. I mean, like, it's a terrible idea to do that to somebody. It's a terrible idea to enslave someone. But the idea that like your uh. Like, if you heard, like, this was a story that happened and how horrific it would be, it would not surprise me at all for him to be like, I'm throwing that kind of character in. Yeah, no, fair. I don't have to create a backstory because there's one ready to made. And this character's not yeah, coming it, back. It sounds great. Like, yeah. Sure. Um, it's, I mean, it's a lot better than, like, I mean, the, it's tough because, like, it's tough to talk about this, like, in, in a, in a sort of perspective in fiction because it is based on real horrible shit that really did happen. Right. But I will say there is sort of a, Seems to be essentially a kind of like generic American slave background. Oh yeah, Just, yeah. And and so I think the idea to go to take the effort and take the time to write more information about that in the story is actually pretty cool uh, than just to be like. I went there with a with someone who was a slave or who was formerly a slave or whatever his situation was because I think he might have like freed himself later. So the way she because again it's the way she writes it is from the past is past tense. So like these right. things hop around. So I don't remember if she mentions that Yarnell ends up getting rich doing something later, or whatnot. But slaves couldn't get rich, so I'm sure that he found his freedom somehow. If I'm mis- if I'm remembering it correctly. Right. Anyway, um, so I I like that. Like I was trying to think of like. Samuel Clemens and I'm trying to think of like his books and I'm trying to think of Jim and I'm trying to think of like what was Jim's backstory yeah because you read that a lot more recently than I did I did I read that within the last like three years and my memory is that he is escaping with Huck I thought so he's with Huck for sure but Mike I can't remember if he's I thought I thought escape was was part of it I mean that's that's my memory is that they both essentially are trying to flee right and it's like that it's sort of the the story of how they're both together and and being together is helpful for each of them but it also hinders each of them because jim can't just go out on his own and, and not be held back by huck and huck can't like go through towns and stuff like he would be able to do if jim wasn't with him right and he wouldn't have to hide Jim in somebody's house in the in the swamps or something like that, and then go back for him every couple of days or some stuff like that. Anyway, Yarnell, I uh, I would have I don't know. I guess I don't want to read a, a, another version of Huck Finn, but I, I I really liked that character, and I was sad to see him disappear. My only other note really about this chapter is that uh, I feel like there's a there's a certain theme of like righteous vengeance in this story and i don't just mean the 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 basic obviously that's the premise or that's the that's the theme because of maddie's quest Mm -hmm. but i mean specifically in the way that she talks about people like the way through her perspective she analyzes and judges other people is is persistent and biting and it always seems to come from a place of like 
she is I don't have a better way of describing it other than she's just kind of like she's the arbiter of all things. She, she believes she's right. Yeah. 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 She, 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 she is decides. certain about herself. Well, and about the way everything else should be. What well, is correct? What is wrong? Right. But I mean, is, I'm saying that's lazy. why she runs into so much friction is because people are not in line with her view of the world. And she's like, nope, that's stupid. You're wrong. She's that certain about everything. Yeah. But she doesn't, but she doesn't just say that she finds a way to like coerce or pigeonhole people into a position where they cannot escape her rationale. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just her walking around casting lightning bolts of judgment. It's her like her, like saying you are incorrect and we will do verbal battle until you understand how incorrect you are. (laughs) Um, It reminds me of someone. I know. It's, I'm, I'm flattered. Um, <laughs> yeah. He knew. <laughs> and it does not remind me of me either. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's my um, life. Like, uh, for example, a couple examples I have in this chapter, at least, or maybe a little bit more, is like the, she has this, uh, ju- this this sort of like aside, this passing judgment about uh, Tom Cheney's homemade gun strap. Mm-hmm. Where she criticizes it and says that, like, he probably could have made taken a a spare bit of leather and made a nice strap for it but that would be too much effort or that would be too much bother or something like that and there's this all this like venom she called him trash right i don't remember if she called him maybe but like uh, what i remember is the specific thing about this like um the the strap being that he was of such a low sort that he wouldn't even waste his time he wouldn't invest in making himself look even remotely nice mm-hmm. he he would see no difference in a string or a a loose bit of rope being his gun strap versus a nice bit of leather same thing she says later about labeef and his cowlick you know this idea of like well, he hasn't fixed that she shaves she mentioned he shaved and cleaned himself up but that cowlick hmm it's still there i suppose he can't <coughs> do anything about it and this idea of like she walks around being like that should be fixed that should be fixed why aren't all these people fixing all these things about them and then sometimes she just decides to tell them about it. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I wish I could have the, her conviction because I've got her self-centeredness. Sure. But I don't. I don't have her like self-assuredness. Sure. It's a nice. Way but to she's. Say but it. but you know, because that's not it. That's not. That's not well-rounded enough. That's not fair. Later, Rooster makes a comment about to her about you know, little sister. I have to look out for myself too. You know, there's other people you have to consider in this world. Because she doesn't do that. Mm. And that was his kind way of pointing that out to her. Maybe. But then again, that is the kind of thing someone who doesn't want to deal with her uh, observations and changes that she wants to happen would say. So they wouldn't have to do it. But that isn't that. But that's not who he is. Like he he isn't adverse to her arguments. He he won't like just accept what she has to say. But oftentimes if she makes a good point, he runs with it. That's true. So far, at least, up to this point in the book, uh, all the way through the books, the part of the books we've read. Do you think uh, this was a frustration for Charles Portis, and this was his avatar in the to 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 this is how he wanted to deal with people? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I would have nowhere reason to suspect that. Um, it could very it could equally have been someone he knows. Like uh, I would imagine that as a writer, you could you could write a character who is in your mind an impression you have of someone you deal with and you have that character write things and and do things in a way you feel like that person does things and through that process you sort of 
exercise them from your soul um, and no longer have to like suffer through that part of that person who you probably will have to deal with forever. Um, so it could have been that it could be him like, you know, projecting someone he doesn't, he has, he has aggravation with. He could very well be more rooster in the story. I have no clue. He's, I mean, every author is every bit of every of their, every one of their characters, but I don't, I would have no reason to suspect that this is somehow him working through how he feels about the world. Well, I disagree. Do you have any reasons other than you like that, that fantasy? Yeah. Because these are written with such vindication that he clearly extols Maddie's behavior. I don't think that's the way it works. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't be that. I'm just saying that isn't sufficient evidence. That's like oh, saying, say, oh, 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 we weren't talking about evidence. We we're asking what I thought and why. Sure. And I'm explaining why that isn't good enough for me. No, I'm not trying to sway you, though. That's fine. I'm letting you know that's why it's not good enough for me is because <laughs> it that sort of uh, pro- excludes the possibility that he could just be a good writer. I'm not, I don't think it does exclude that because he, because he writes it very effectively. He could write, uh, Maddie argued with the guy until he gave her what she wanted. That would be bad writing. No, I'm saying that uh, uh, your, your suggestion as I, as I understand it is that he's so good at writing her because all of her bits come from his, him, like no. his perspective and his experience. No, okay, no, I it had nothing that. to do with the quality of writing. I just, I'm wondering if that's where the character Genesis came from. From him. No, you're not, but you're not wondering, you're speculating. Those are different. How is speculation different than wondering? One is uh, making sort of a... You're kind of saying, like, I bet, versus I. it occurs to me it could be this way. That both sound... Speculation, that falls under the purview of speculation and wonder. What I'm not doing is hypothesizing. I'd say speculation and wondering are neck and neck. Okay, but... When people say, I wonder if there's gold in them there hills. I they're speculate not... that there is gold yes, in that, Yes, them exactly. Hills. So when you speculate about those things, you're making a appraisal. Wonder is a thought. A speculation is an appraisal. There's an action to speculation. There's an action to wonder, but it's mental. It's not physical. It's not like, it's not, uh, I think I've had this conversation with you before about other words. There's a, there's a motion in certain words mm-hmm. that separates them from other words that are slightly uh, similed or, or synonymous. Um, not similed, synonymous. Um, so with wonder, to, to, to wonder is to like consider. To speculate is to, is to. Give voice to that? No, it's to, it's to like plot. It's to think, okay, I I have a suspicion that there that this thing is this way and I'm and I I have reason to believe it could it is this way and I'm going to go like I'm going to find out or I'm not, not even if I'm not going to find out I'm going to assist insist that this is the truth oh then I'm definitely speculating exactly um I thought you said, I said okay no, the speculation is the part that I, I have to object that I would I'm not comfortable doing myself. Okay, That's the point that. of making this point, like because um, I'm not saying it, I, I would I would be more comfortable wondering. I would be more comfortable wondering if this part if this came from a part of his life. You were saying, no, I think it does. OK, That's so, speculation. So I speculate that it does. And you would reply, I wonder. Yep. 
Okay. I think we are, we're on the same page. Finally. Um, <laughs> Which brings us to... Wait, uh, whoa, whoa. Oh. <laughs> okay. Jeez huh. Louise. Chapter two? Do you want me to read? I'm, now I'm all flustered, and I'm not quite sure if I'm supposed to read my summary now. I'm sorry about that. That was me. Uh, Maddie arrives in the town where her father was murdered. Was we determined it's a Fort Smith? Is that what it was? I've yeah. already forgotten. Yeah, Fort Smith. She witnesses the hanging of three men. She tends to her father's final arrangements and sends Yarnell back home with her father's casket and finds lodging before seeking out a local bounty hunter to find Tom Cheney. He's not really a bounty hunter. He's he's a he's a federal, he's a federal marshal, but like the way she's hiring him is very much bounty hunter-esque. She wants to hire him on a private basis. Right. To do his federal job. Right. But like essentially she's hiring him to make a priority of this case. A lot happens and, in this chapter. And it's clear that like these federal marshals and these uh Texas Rangers, they all get paid like stipends for actually bringing in bounties, so they might as well be bounty hunters. I don't have any notes in this chapter. Do you have any notes? Here's the problem with this book and taking notes from me is that it's it's a really good book, but it's hard from I don't want to I don't have anything in there I could remotely criticize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not so open-ended that you could speculate about certain things. So it's hard to, uh, other than just talking about what happens in it, to sort of talk about it more than I think we already have. But anyway, if you, I've got what some notes things. you have. I've got some, I got some things. Well, first of all, um, I, know I can't honestly now remember what you said, but she doesn't get around to hiring Marshall in this chapter. No, that, that takes but, quite but a while. But she is directed in his, in, his, in his direction. Um, right. I liked early on the comment about Fort Smith does not belong in Arkansas. Just another little Maddie judgment. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. <clears throat> and during the hanging, there were people selling fudge with parched peanuts, which was very intriguing. Do you remember that? Dried peanuts? Well, just... just uh, I do remember that. Sorry. I, I do no, it's, that. it's fine. I just... I, I did some... Um, I did some digging because I was curious what parched peanuts were. And yes, parched peanuts are, well, we'll get to that in a second. Because first I found a recipe for mom's homemade chocolate fudge with parched peanuts. There's a recipe on YouTube uh, by Collard Valley Cooks. Very Shout southern, out. Very down home. I'm totally going to link it. Um, made me want to make it. And, it. and yes, parched peanuts is just country for roasted. Because they didn't really. In fact, uh, I found another website where, quote, I didn't hear the name roasted till I moved to the city. But they just used to, you know, heat the peanuts on the fire until they were dried, parched, hot. Uh, that website was one of these uh, how to do things for yourself at home, country living style websites called grit.com. Based out of Arkansas. No, I'm oh sure the website's probably named after this book, but it was still kind of a moment where I was like, what? What's happening? Is that true? Grit.com? I wonder. Uh, I have a note here. Those short sentences are a fusillade of information. <laughs> Actually, I said fusillade of information bullets because that was redundant. 
And this is specifically regarding the doomed men wearing new jeans and shirts. Mm. The men about to be hanged. I was fascinated right. by that, that they'd given them new clothes to die in. Uh, I, 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 was, I, was, I was so intrigued. I didn't look it up, but I was very intrigued. G-A-R, she referred, she, she, she made a mention of. It's the Grand Army of the Republic. Yes, I, I had to look that up. This book, by the way, it's full of things you should absolutely start Googling instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't know a lot of the stuff she was talking about. But it got so much that I just gave up. It just kept reading. Like, I, I looked up G-A-R because I know that there is... I'm fairly certain that there is a point later on where Cogburn and Labeef get into, come to blows, essentially, over which one fought on which side of the Civil War. Oh, later, like, like per the movie, we haven't got there yet. Yes. Gotcha, yes. gotcha, gotcha. So, like, I'm fairly certain that certain characters in this book will have allegiances one way or the other. Hey, it happened in the first episode of Bonanza when Adam and Joe fought each other because one had a mother from the north and one had a mother from the south. Truly, the War of Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um... I had a note here about the Irish accent that was a little a little little comical and painful to read. Painful. If you would like to kiss, it'll be all right. Spelled L O I K E and R O I G H T. That was that If you'd was... like to kiss, it'd be all right. If you'd like to kiss the body, it would be all right. Uh Maddie, first time she's named. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, when she was talking to, I don't remember, hold on, uh, we'll find out here. When she was talking to the sheriff about mar- uh, finding U.S. Marshals, uh, made me laugh out loud. Why? Oh, I'm going to read it. I will inform them myself, said I. Who is the best marshal they have? The sheriff thought on it for a minute. He said, I would have to weigh that proposition. There is near about 200 of them. I reckon William Waters is the best tracker. He's a half-breed Comanche, and it is something to see watching him cut for sign. The meanest one is Rooster Cogburn. He is a pitiless man, double tough, and fear don't enter into his thinking. He loves to pull a cork. Now, L.T. Quinn, he brings his prisoners in alive. He may let one get by now and then, but he believes even the worst of men is entitled to a fair shake. Also, the court does not pay any fee for dead men. Quinn is a good peace officer and lay preacher to boot. He will not plant evidence or abuse a prisoner. He is straight as a string. Yes, I will say Quinn is about the best they have. I said, where can I find this rooster? (laughs) Yeah, right. I I, I laughed out loud and had to pause everything to highlight and write that down because that that was very funny to me. And I, I hadn't been expecting that kind of sardonic humor um yeah i I, I the first the first word on the back of my book from book week magazine in describing this book is funny Mm -hmm. the first word is funny um it is it is funny it it has a comedy to like the the scene later this is gonna happen later but the scene where rooster's giving his testimony and Mm -hmm. and they ask him which direction he was moving when he was moving backwards and he says i always go backwards when i'm back up (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've got that written down too as one of yeah. my notes. Um, things like that, like or the part where they go, you know, the objection, speculation. And he goes, "What did you find in the, if anything, in the cabin?" He's like, you know, he's like, "Found a hole, nothing in it." <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit. Like again, that's the kind of stuff that the 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 Coen brothers really nail in their movie. Sure. Um, Man, I really want to see this movie again now. <laughs> not until we're done. Well, um, I know. I know. Jerk. 
Uh, yeah. What else you got? Um. So she when she takes uh rooms at a boarding house where there is a man selling pocket calculators. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. I googled it. There were mechanical pocket calculators or arithmometers. One brand, Adaton, was invented in 1889. You said this was in the 1870s, but they did exist. Little like kind of kind of like little pocket abacuses that you had like a little. Yeah, I thought it would be an abacus kind of thing. Yeah, but they totally a thing. That is my last note wow. for this chapter. Um. Well, then I uh, I have no more notes on that chapter. That brings us to chapter three. Oh, weird. Suddenly everything feels right. Um, <laughs> the summary I have for this is uh, Maddie attends a court hearing where Rooster Cogburn seems to be on trial for his extrajudicial killing of three men. Uh, after the hearing, Maddie, which he isn't, it just seems that way. He's actually testifying to something else. Right. Someone else's trial. But the defense attorney certainly comes after him like like Rooster himself is on trial for murder. Um, after the hearing, Maddie approaches him and attempts to hire him to hunt down Tom Chaney. Uh, the rest of the chapter is full of their interactions as she attempts to hire him. That's the best I could put it br- briefly. Uh, my first note here is uh, that Maddie has a, a side about cats. And I must say on the subject of cats, uh, I must agree with Maddie in that they... They do have a uh, utility, but that I'd rather never be near or engage with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she says that they have Satan in their eyes. Yep. yep. The, um, the devil somehow. Yeah. In my experience, uh, and with some notable exceptions, some very specific and notable exceptions, uh, cats are dangerous and problematic beasts of which I am allergic Oh, I to, to which I am allergic yeah, uh, so my wife and I went to the zoo, not the zoo, we went to the uh, fair, the state fair a couple years ago, and they had a cub petting exhibit. You know, one of those, like, Tiger King kind of people who have animals that they drug and they, like, small lion cubs that they drug and let people pose for pictures with them. And they charge you, like, 75 bucks to get your, to hold a lion and take a photo with it. And so we did it, and it was this surreal, strange, uncomfortable feeling thing but then afterwards my eyes swole up and i like i had it was just like just sort of weeping like just uh uncontrollable non-emotional like eyeball leaking and then uh some some a little bit of wheezing so yeah you know it's not the most comfortable feeling sure but uh yeah it turns out i'm definitely allergic to cats or whatever filth that lion cub was rolling in um before we touched it so probably don't go cub petting, people. Um, <laughs> you went cubbing. What kind of notes do you have in this chat? I have a couple more, but what Let's do see. you have? Uh, comment on her. A note on her comment about Democrats and Republicans was interesting. Were they flipped in 1878? Do you remember? Like, I know that at some point the the poli- the politics of the parties were opposite. Or it's that whole thing where like Lincoln was a Republican and modern Republicans who bear no resemblance to abraham lincoln's policy policies like to tout that this wasn't that long after so I, I i feel like i maybe some things were similar and some others weren't i'm not sure but it was still interesting but i guess that's a good point i hadn't considered but it was just her her more her, her certainty and that she was going to not get a fair shake from a republican gang of federal people 
care oh, that, for the that means they would be they would be flipped then because democrats tend to be harder for modern democrats tend to be more federalist hmm. so if she's referring to the republicans being federalist then that suggests that she wouldn't she's probably suggesting here that federalist republicans don't care about states rights as much as the conservative democrats would hmm. um <clears throat> and then there's the whole bargaining with with stonehill yeah it was just amazing and i had to read it twice but it felt like you had more to say on that nope i don't oh okay it's good well scene. i mean i have here's here's what i have okay. I, I i really wish i was more like maddie she seems capable of getting uh you know her fair share against a dismissive patriarchal judgmental world uh whether it's getting a fair deal for her ponies or her father's stolen horse or to her sales as a magazine writer, as she, as she mentions, and she is in her later life in the present tense, she's always there ready to fight and get what she's worth. And I, I think that that's a really, that's a really powerful thing. I imagine to have as an example, if you're a young woman, mm-hmm. I don't know if this book is the right book for like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it would affect a young woman in the way I would hope I'm, it would. I'm actually curious about that. Cause she's very much like a baby Ellen Ripley. Like she's not in the, not in the way that she's like, you know, like well, the certainty of aliens. not letting John Hurt back onto the ship. No, I'm talking more about part two. I'm talking oh. about aliens where she's like, where she's like, you know, she's a changed woman and she's like, that's who this kid starts out as it seems as like the no nonsense. No, you were wrong. The first thing that's going to happen is going to come on board and it's going to kill all of you. Like kind of thing. Still, I think holds true with what I was saying. It does, but in that, if you watch her performance in that film, she goes, "Now, hey, wait a minute." That's well, her. She's delivery. speaking calmly to them because they're yelling at her, and she's like, "No, everyone needs to calm down. I'm not letting your ass on board." She doesn't say "ass," though. That's my point. She isn't I, actually I, that I'm strong saying that for, in what I'm she's saying. I'm conveying to you what she's really saying. I'm saying you're embellishing it. I am. I'm because I'm conveying it to you. No, no, conveying embellishing means you're adding. Yes, you're. Which isn't, uh, but I'm you. I'm conveyance. adding to describe what is going on internally, which is right. Obvious I think if that's you your that impression, scene. but <sighs> I don't think it is obvious if you watch that scene. My impression of that scene is that she is actually very timid. She's not the character you expect to be. The character she becomes by the end of the film. That's part of her strength in that film. Is at that point she is this sort of like mousy, timid person who's sort of sticking to the rules, but you know gets pushed around. Because I mean, she does get pushed around. If you if she were if you were so right, Rob, the whole movie wouldn't happen. The alien I, wouldn't no, make disagree, it on board. Disagree, because I am so right. Because uh, <laughs> they violated the uh, the, the late and they let themselves the in. late Yafikado and the late Harry Dean Center and had that whole conversation, that whole exchange where they're mocking her for being such a hard ass. Mm-hmm. And then she comes in, she tries to talk to them, and they're fucking with the steam because like, oh, I can't hear you because I'm a dick. Mm-hmm. So that whole movie is predicated but on she, that character. Did, and she knows she, that. She knows that that's her, how she comes off to people. And so she's, oh, fuck, I got to play the stupid game because it's a serious situation. And no, I'm not going to let fucking Veronica Cartwright's yelling at me. I don't even know what fucking Ian Holmes or He's a creepy ass motherfucker, but I'm not going to let, I got to use my calm voice. No, wait a minute. I can't let you in because quarantine. Sorry. It sucks. It's rules. Yeah, I know you're young. But then she you're does. The captain. She does not. Ian Holm does it. He fucking walks oh, up behind true. her and is like, button. And she's like, motherfucker. Well, it sounds like I should rewatch that movie. Yeah, it sounds like you should. So anyway, um, <laughs> Maddie it's a is good, a... The point is, it's a good observation on your part. 
Yeah, I am the right one. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I admire this kid. I admire her. It's not spunk. What's the word? I think I think Lebeefer uses <sighs> a word like like sauce. I think he calls her saucy. They're saucy. Uh, grit. Yeah, but that's not what I mean, Lebeef uses a specific no, word. He's, it's saucy. It, it, it's saucy. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that that's it's you know, it's it's admirable in my opinion. Like for for someone like me, I feel like people like this this woman they get far. I wish I had a little bit more of that in me. Sure. And you got any more notes? I have one more. Just that Judge Isaiah Parker was a real guy. He really was a hanging judge. Oh, interesting. He's, he's another one I Googled. Just the way she wrote about it, or I guess Charles Portis wrote about it. I was like, hmm. So I'd look it up, and sure enough, sent uh, 160 people to death. 80 of them, or 79, hung. Nice. Um, My last note is... One of the things I really like about this book is the way Maddie is written with that brief matter-of-factness uh, of an old Civil War letter. Like, the part where she says, where she goes to bed in the last line of this chapter. I'll just read the last line of this, sure. the last couple lines of this chapter, because it's exactly what made me think of it. <laughs> I got the extra blankets and arranged them as I had done the night before. I said my prayers, and it was some time before I got any sleep. I had a cough. <laughs> yeah, it's the same short sentences again. I love it. And yeah, yes, like, it, you're right. It's it's very much like what's his face with the documentaries. Kenneth Byrne. Kenneth Burns. Look, we're hearing those letters read. Yeah, it's like, dearest Meredith. Yes, it's true. The stories you've heard, the nights are cold, the food is scarce, and the lodgings are few and far between. But I do not despair. I know that one day, God willing, <laughs> I will find my way home to Kentucky, and be with you, in Little Roger once again. Oh, I do wonder how large he's getting. And I look forward to seeing his sparkling baby blue eyes on the porch when I arrive home this coming winter. Good night, Meredith. I'll be thinking of you as I fall asleep under the stars of this godforsaken war. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I wanted like a a lone harmonica in there. Concertine in the background. There's like the plucking of a a somber banjo. Mm -hmm. I love it. Do you think Um, of any instrument that's designed to not be somber more than the banjo? Kazoo. Mm -mm. I don't have a kazoo impression. It's pretty good. I thought you were going to go right into um, Amazing Grace. (laughs) Oh, man. Now I want to do an Amazing Grace with a kazoo. I need a kazoo. <laughs> you have any more in that chapter? I one one other thing. Uh, I believe it's just one more. Um, differences from both movies, and I don't know. I don't. I can't cite this as a difference from the both movies because of the way Maddie writes. But it was interesting when she uh, described him because I had a I could. I went back and read the transcript again too. It, right, a couple paragraphs before it is when she describes Rooster Cogburn, and she just mentioned he was a one-eyed old Jasper, built along the lines of Glover Cleveland. No mention of an eye patch. That's not saying he doesn't have one, because she is quite uh, bereft of description sometimes. But it was just interesting that, like, does he have one, and it's not described, or has he just got that kind of like? Oh no, she sees it later though. It's all milky and gross. So, is that? That's just something the movie's added, I guess. 
No, she. I think what she mentions about his eye being milky and gross is that like she can see under the patch or something like that. I don't know. I'll keep an eye out for it. I see what you did there. I don't think you could. You're oh. all milky and gross. Um, uh, I don't know. Now that you mentioned it, I don't have any recollection of reading that he has an eye patch. I just assume he does. Sure. So I'll have to keep, like I said, uh, uh, a weather eye. Yep. That's what I was going to say. I know. Uh, you got any more? Not, not in that chapter. Well, then that brings us to... Chapter four. All right. I got a summary. Maddie gets sick and is waiting for the money she needs to pay Cogburn to arrive. As she waits in her boarding house, she meets Texas Ranger LaBeef and has her first verbal quarrel with him. That she does. Uh, my first note is don't drink anything that makes your urine blue. <laughs> Even if it's got all the good, good cocaine in it? Especially then. Oh. Or, or it's if addictive. it's Powerade. It fucks up your heart. Powerade is blue. It shouldn't make your urine blue. Well, green then. Well, it's not blue. Fine. Fine. So, I guess I can drink it. Great. Sure. Drink it. <laughs> I will. Do it. <laughs> okay. Prove it. No. Such a big man. Oh. Oh. Oh, I'm going to drink my Powerade. Do it. See what happens. See what color you pee. You don't have the grit. You don't have the grit to drink Powerade. I've got the sauce. Um, um, I've got, uh, in her altercation with LaBeef, uh, I have no regard for you, which is such a sick cowgirl burn. I loved it. There's a line in one of these chapters and I don't remember which it is, but it's one of these where she makes a, she makes a comment, something about, I think it's in reference to LaBeef, uh, and I didn't take the note on it. I should have about biting, nearly biting through her tongue or biting her tongue or something like that. Now, unless the movie took great license, that is absolutely something that happens to LaBeef. Oh. He bites through his own tongue something fierce and nearly cuts it right off. And they have to, like, sear it back together or cauterize it back together or sew it back together. Some spoilers. Sorry, Rob. That's okay. Um, Because I I wasn't looking out for that, so. uh, Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's a big plot point in the film. Um, and she makes this weird sort of a side, like I nearly bit my tongue off or I nearly, you know, bit my tongue or something like that. And I was just thinking, should have taken the note on the page, but, uh, caught my attention. Okay. I don't have any more. Neither do I. Um, my only notes here are just again, more about how much the book gets from the movie. There's the, you don't have anything to say about the line where, uh, LaBeef talks about stealing a kiss from her. No, other I, I don't. I feel like it's very in keeping with the time and everything that it, he he would he would think that that was a treat for her. It's I mean it's it's completely shows off his character. I do remember very vividly Matt Damon. I feel like he snuck into her room for that line. It wasn't presented that way. The in the way, book, was it? Because she wakes up in bed and he's sitting in a chair. Isn't that right? In the movie, that is the case. And I think that's something similar in the book. Um, I just remember thinking, wow, he's very Matt Damon here. And that kind of taking me out of the movie. Matt Damon doing an accent. I thought I thought it was when he took her off away from dinner to have a private conversation. Um, I think you're right, but I'm just I'm going to get there real quick. I see. After supper, we went to the parlor to a corner away from the other boarders 
Ah, uh, yes. But uh, but but they could they could leave that scene for another scene later. I just don't think so. No, I think that this is the scene where he says that thing about kissing her. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I will not be bullied. He stood up and said, "Earlier tonight, I gave some thought to stealing a kiss from you, though you are very young and sick and, and unattractive ugly. to boot." <laughs> yeah, that's the part I like. The, and unattractive, like. But now I'm of mind to give you five or six good licks with my belt. One would be just as unpleasant as the other. I replied. You little bitch. <laughs> that's what I imagine he's thinking. Ugh! What a horrible. Ugh! What a horrible situation. Mm. Yuck. Yep. Anyway, um, yeah, the uh. So yeah, in the movie you were correct. In the movie, she he he is basically watching her sleep, and she right. wakes up, and they have this conversation while she's in bed, uh, and it's creepier. Oh, way creepier! But also, he's got his like Matt Damon smirk, and it just kind of like I'm like it's Matt Damon with a with a mustache. It's weird. Matt Damon with the mustache, essentially talking about like forcing himself on a underage girl. It's an odd set of words. <laughs> it is very true. Uh, and so it's it's hard to like I I it's hard for me to imagine Matt Damon as a as that kind of guy, mm-hmm. as a essentially as a bad guy. Um, and now I, I haven't seen the talented Mr. Ripley, so it's not Oh, so good. But he's a different kind of like it's just one of my favorite movies. Whatever <laughs> you probably would hate it then. No, sure. It's just like I mean I give you movies all the time that I think you should watch, and you know nothing ever comes of it. So you know I just I understand what it's like. I watched I really, Battle I Royale. So what do you want from sure, me? That only took five years. Um, well, then you've got a, a, a framework for how long the other ones will take. No, it's true. It's absolutely true. I, I think I, I also gifted you a, a beautiful mind maybe two Christmases ago. My wife is supposed to watch that with me. She is supposed to. Well. But I'm looking at my clock, and it says it hasn't happened. Just an observation, because, you know, it's not like you don't like Paul Bettany. I like his wife a lot. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go watch Labyrinth again? Because she's in Beautiful Mind. Oh, is she? Yeah. Oh. Isn't Jennifer Connelly? I can't remember. Isn't Jennifer Connelly the girl in that? I don't know. Maybe. The lady girl? Maybe. Probably where they met. She's the Goblin Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Got any more notes in that chapter? I do not. All right. I have chapter five. Let's do chapter five. Uh, I only have a summary here. The This chapter is mostly about more conflict about the particulars of Tom Cheney's arrest, who is going... Uh, how will he be brought back alive or dead? Where will he be sur- uh, surrendered? In the end of it, it is decided that Maddie will not accompany Rooster and Labeef, but she is tenacious and rides her small horse across a freezing river to their side. So basically, the the, the real that's what I wrote to myself. But the the real premise is that uh, Labeef has quite an investment in capturing Tom Cheney alive and taking him down to Texas to hang uh, for the murder of a senator. But Maddie. And this is one of those ways where it's like she, when I was mentioning earlier, she is very selfish. Like she can't, she has a very hard time uh, compromising. Sure. Maybe selfish is the right word. Uncompromising is absolutely correct. She she doesn't understand how other people's needs could be equivalent to her own. Or they could be just as as uh, worth considering into taking into consideration. So she doesn't consider that this guy has been spending months out here trying to catch this guy, and she could use his services to better get her ends met, which her to capture this person and right. see that he is hung and dead. And they give her the option. They say, "Where well, you could absolutely just tell this guy that you want him to know that you are Frank Ross's daughter, and you have." 
paid and personally seen too that he has been captured and will be hung and you want him to know that that only happened because he killed your father that if he hadn't done that he might have gotten away and from Labeef who was already tailing him but instead she says no that's not good enough for some like stubborn and unnecessarily specific reason makes sense to me <laughs> like I, like i said <laughs> i that, that sounds like it makes it the, the fact that it makes sense to you makes sense to me mm-hmm. and i think that it's again it's a, it's a i think it's a deliberate failing of the character that's very interesting to read what else you got is lawyer daggett sweet on maddie i don't know I, I kind of, I, I would be lying if I said that thought hadn't occurred to me. I mean, uh, okay, I'm not going to read the whole letter, but she gets a letter from Lawyer Daggert, and a lot of it, I'm sh- there's there's that Old West, late 1800s, or late teen hundreds, embellishment. Um, so my dear Maddie doesn't do it for me. Gives her news on her family, that's nice. You are her strong right arm now, Maddie, and you are a pearl of great price to me. But there are times when you are an almighty trial to those who love you. Hurry home. I am truly thine. Dag it. There's an abbreviation here, but I do not understand it. Unless it's supposed to be John. J-N-O. Jonathan, maybe? I don't know. I don't uh, know. I assumed it had something to do with the fact that he was a lawyer. I think that'd be at the end of his name. I think J-N-O might be Jonathan, because J-O-N-O-T? I don't know point is yeah you don't know anybody named jonathan that was important to you whose name you should know how to spell nope nope he goes by john j-o-n that's all i need to know i don't need to know how to spell ethan okay yeah so yeah it just seems like he also has given serious consideration to stealing a kiss um gross hmm uh, it's possible. I mean, I, I I don't know what the age of marriage or the average age of marrying a young woman off in this age was. I mean, you gotta you gotta get your bid in early. I guess so. Um, I wouldn't know. I don't. I really. I truly. I have no idea. Um, it, it's it's not something I've done a lot of research into. Sure. Um. But I guess I would imagine yes that it's possible. Like I said, the thought had occurred to me, mm-hmm. but. I'm fairly certain that character won't show up anymore or if he does, it's at the very end. So I don't know if we'll find out. It's kind of surprised at how like violent Labeef got with Maddie at the end of this chapter. I wasn't. You, 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 you grab a switch and you bend the kid over your knee and you switch him up. That's what happened back in the day. Yeah. I, I, I super enjoyed that rooster, Came to her rescue, uh, down to about drawn on the beef. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I that probably happens in the movie. I don't remember that scene. It does. Okay. Um, but it was. I I, I kind of like this Rooster Cogburn character. Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's definitely a, a certain kind of character. Um. Yeah. I'm. I don't know. I'm. We gotta eventually read a book I've never seen the movie of because <laughs> it's it's we so read hard to read. Yeah, but like, you know. I know what you mean. I that, know what you mean. I know what you mean. That book was more of a textbook than anything else. It was um, an experiment. Yeah. So like this one it's hard for me to not read it and just imagine re- like I'm watching the movie. So anyway, uh yeah, it's uh 
it's hard for me to not like read the Rooster Cogburn character as just just Jeff Bridges' performance. Sure. It's hard not to read uh, the Labeef character as anything other than Matt Damon. I absolutely um, have, because I never saw the original. I don't know what Kim Darby was like, but I feel like she was that 60s or 70s version of Precocious as opposed to... Um, you can do it. I want to say Haley. What's her name? What's her name? I'm looking it up. From 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 Spider Verse and Bumblebee, and the new Hawkeye series, and she's a singer. Haley Steinfeld. Steinfeld. God damn it. Yeah, she's a great in this movie. Yes. Um. I mean, I kind of don't want to see the John. I've never been a big John Wayne fan. Mm-hmm. His movies have always been. More like Roy Rogers movies where I was kind of raised on the Clint Eastwood ones. So every time I, just, every time I saw John Wayne, I was like, really? We're, we're doing this? Whoa. I understand the the early John Ford ones, the stagecoach and stuff are good, but... that That's the stuff I want to see. Like, I, 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 have, I am with you. I have no interest in seeing John Wayne movies because they star John Wayne. However, uh, John Ford films... Sure. I would, I would, I have an interest in seeing those and, and experiencing them. I'd be super embarrassed if John Ford directed the original True Grit. Let's find out. <laughs> You're off the hook. Who was it? Directed by Henry Hathaway. Oh, I don't even know who that is. Oh, Henry Hathaway? You don't know him? Not off the top of my head. I mean, he directed How the West Was Won. Nope. And the. Trail of the Lonesome Pine. Nope. And, uh, uh, The Last Safari. Nope. Nevada Smith. Nope. Circus World. Nope. North to Alaska. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) I had the Johnny Horton song. Yeah, so this this chapter ends with uh, Maddie basically she purchases one of the ponies she sold back to the to Stonewall or whatever his name was, Labeef and uh, Cogburn reject her accompaniment, send her back, and she fights her way back across the the river and and, and swims her horse across the river and and follows them and they try to lose her they try to bat her back but she doesn't concede. And they, the, the, this section of the book end, this episode ends with them basically agreeing stubbornly to continue moving on with her. Labeef is not happy. Labeef is not happy. Um, so, uh, that's all I got there. I I don't have any other notes. Do you have any notes? Cool. Then let's go, uh, quietly into that good new word alert. I've got some new words. Oh, do you? But I want to see if you've uh, picked up any of mine, so you can go first. Catechism. Catechism? Catechism. Something religious, something written down, something, something. Sort of close. It's uh, oral instruction, and it is uh, 
related to religion in this in these in these chapters. Yeah, but oral instruction is the opposite of written, so I'm wrong. But it's religious is sure. the thing that I, I thought was worth noting that you were close to. Thank you. I appreciate and that. And it is instruction, so, you know, jeez, give yourself a break. No, never. All right, here's another one. Petty fogger. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ready? Yeah. Petty fogger. Okay. I was hearing uh, many worse things. I don't know what a petty fogger is. Oh, you don't know what a petty fogger is? No, I don't. Pettifogger is a noun to mean a lawyer whose methods are petty, underhanded, or disreputable. A shyster. Huh. huh. Okay. One one giving to quibbling over trifles. Feel like that's pointed, but sure. Ready for the my my last one. Sure. Fettle. 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 F e t t l e. Fettle. Does it have something to do with livestock? Nope. Hmm. Not a tether of any kind? Nope. Then I'm out. What is it? A state or condition of health, fitness, wholeness, spirit, or form, often used in the phrase, in fine fettle. Hmm. Which is how it's used in this book. Sure. I think I've heard in fine fettle, but I, I, I never knew it. All right, here's my new word. Bring it. Ambuscade. Say again? Ambuscade. Ambuscade. Uh, Ambuscade. So my guess is it has something to do with walking? Nope. No? Then I'm out. I don't know. It happened at the very end of this chapter. Oh, does, does it mean to like to like retreat? It means to ambush. Oh, to ambush. Right, right, right. All right. Oh, hold on. There's one more. No, we're done. I, I won. Um, oh, go for it. Go for it. I mean, you did win because you got three and I only have two but you want to rub it in if you get this. Discursive. Discursive. Discursive? Discursive. To be, like, dismissive? Nope. Oh, what is it? Moving from topic to topic without order. Rambling. That was also in this book. Hmm. Got a lot of good words. A lot of good words. I noticed that there are a lot of archaic and... Varied words often in Western or cowboy media. It's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Well, uh, I think that brings us to the end of Death Readers, unless you have anything more to say. I do not. The next uh, episode, we will be reading the next f- 50 pages in my book of of uh, um, True Grit. You, we're going to start on the chapter that starts with the word dinner time, and we're going to end before the chapter that begins with the words rooster was. So if, when you get to the chapter that starts with rooster was stop reading. And Hey, Charles Portis, I know you died last year, but man, number your chapters, man. Rude. Yeah, man. Number them, give them nice little quippy titles like little blackie or a biscuit with bacon. Rooster Cogburn talks to the judge. Rooster Cogburn back for more <laughs> biscuit with bacon sounds good it didn't sound that good in the book what the way I she mean, described it sounded the way the way the way uh that woman made her biscuits skimping on the baking powder absolutely not but a proper biscuit mm. bacon mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> um okay well i believe that was death readers so to wrap it all up sum it up and start 
you back next week. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. So do you want to start the show, I take it? You want to actually get to the meat of what we're here to do? Uh, I think so. Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. We didn't count down yet. You say we don't need to. You've said we don't need to for many, many shows so far. But being as this is your purview, I say, why not? Why not? Every time. Every time you're like, we should do it anyway. Why not? Because I I like how it focuses you, Rob. That's what you say. Okay. Are you ready? You don't want me focused? I can. Shit. Here, look. I'm unfocused. I don't want that. I'm too late. Who said I, that? I want you to put your glasses back what on. Glasses? I, don't, I can't find my glasses. I'm having a real Velma moment. What are glasses? Is this is this a glass? Huh? Oh, changing things. 